Chapter Nine of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Nine, A Convivial Meeting. On the whole, Mister Dockwrath was satisfied with the results of his trip to Groby Park, and was in a contented frame of mind as he was driven back to Leeds. No doubt it would have been better could he have persuaded Mister Mason to throw over Messrs. Round and Crook, and put himself altogether into the hands of his new adviser. But this had been too much to expect. He had not expected it, and had made the suggestion as the surest means of getting the best terms in his power, rather than with the hope of securing the actual advantage named. He had done much towards impressing Mr. Mason with an idea of his own sharpness, and perhaps something also towards breaking the prestige which surrounded the names of the great London firm. He would now go to that firm and make his terms with them. They would probably be quite as ready to acquiesce in the importance of his information as had been Mr. Mason. Before leaving the inn after breakfast, he had agreed to join the dinner in the commercial room at five o'clock and Mr. Mason's hot lunch had by no means induced him to alter his purpose. "'I shall dine here,' he had said, when Mr. Boulder was discussing with the waiter the all-important subject of dinner. "'At the commercial table, sir?' the waiter had asked, doubtingly. Mr. Dockrath had answered boldly in the affirmative, whereat Mr. Boulder had growled, but Mr. Cantwise had expressed satisfaction. "'We shall be extremely happy to enjoy your company,' Mr. Cantwise had said, with a graceful bow, making up by his excessive courtesy for the want of any courtesy on the part of his brother-traveller. With reference to all this, Mr. Moulder said nothing. The stranger had been admitted into the room, to a certain extent, even with his own consent, and he could not now be turned out. But he resolved within his own mind that for the future— he would be more firm in maintaining the ordinances and institutes of his profession. On his road home Mr. Dockrath had encountered Mr. Cantwise going to Groby Park, intent on his sale of a drawing-room set of the metallic furniture, and when he again met him in the commercial room he asked after his success. "'A wonderful woman, that, Mr. Dockrath,' said Mr. Cantwise. "'A really wonderful woman.' no particular friend of yours i think you say not in the least mr cantwise then i may make bold to assert that for persevering sharpness she beats all that i ever met even in yorkshire and mr cantwise looked at his new friend over his shoulder and shook his head as though lost in wonder and admiration what do you think she's done now well, she didn't give you much to eat i take it much to eat i'll tell you what it is mr dockwrath my belief is that woman would have an absolute pleasure in starving a christian i do indeed i'll tell you what she has done she has made me put her up a set of them things at twelve seventeen six i needn't tell you that they were never made for the money why then did you part with them at a loss well that's the question i was soft i suppose she got round me badgering me till i didn't know where i was she wanted them as a present for the curate's wife she said whatever should induce her to make a present 
"'She got them for twelve, seventeen, six, did she?' said Dockwrath, thinking that it might be as well to remember this, if he should feel inclined to make a purchase himself. "'But they was strained, Mr. Dockwrath. I must admit they was strained, particularly the loo.' "'You had gone through your gymnastics on it a little too often?' asked the attorney. But this Mr. Cantwise would not acknowledge. The strength of that table was such that he could stand on it for ever without injury to it. But, nevertheless, in some other way it had become strained, and therefore he had sold the set to Mrs. Mason for twelve pounds, seventeen shillings, sixpence, that lady being minded to make a costly present to the wife of the curate of Groby. When dinner-time came, Mr. Dockwrath found that the party was swelled to the number of eight, five other undoubted commercials having brought themselves to anchor at the Bull Inn during the day. To all of these Mr. Cantwise introduced him. "'Mr. Gape, Mr. Dockwrath,' said he, gracefully moving towards them the palm of his hand, and eyeing them over his shoulder. "'Mr. Gape is in the stationary line,' he added in a whisper to the attorney and does for coming and gibber of St. Paul's Churchyard. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Dockwrath. Mr. J. is from Sheffield. Mr. Stengkeld, Mr. Dockwrath. And then he imparted in another whisper the necessary information as to Mr. Stengkeld. Soft goods for Brown Brothers of Snow Hill. And so on through the whole fraternity. Each member bowed as his name was mentioned, but they did not do so very graciously, as Mr. Cantwise was not a great man among them. Had the stranger been introduced to them by Moulder, Moulder the patriarch, his reception among them would have been much warmer. And then they sat down to dinner, Mr. Moulder taking the chair as president, and Mr. Cantwise sitting opposite to him as being the longest sojourner at the inn. Mr. Dockwrath sat at the right hand of Cantwise, discreetly avoiding the neighbourhood of Moulder, and the others ranged themselves according to fancy at the table. "'Come up alongside of me, old fellow,' Moulder said to Snengkeld. "'It ain't the first time that you and I have smacked our lips together over the same bit of roast beef.' "'No, it won't, I hope, be the last by a long chalk, Mr. Moulder,' said Snengkeld, speaking with a deep, hoarse voice which seemed to ascend from some region of his body far below his chest. Moulder and Snickeld were congenial spirits. But the latter, though the older man, was not endowed with so large a volume of body or so highly dominant a spirit. Brown brothers of Snow Hill were substantial people, and Mr. Snickeld travelled in strict accordance with the good old rules of trade which Moulder loved so well. The politeness and general good manners of the company were something very pretty to witness. Mr. Dockwrath, as a stranger, was helped first, and every courtesy was shown to him. Even Mr. Moulder carved the beef for him with a loving hand, and Mr. Cantwise was almost subservient in his attention. Mr. Dockwrath thought that he had certainly done right in coming to the commercial table, and resolved on doing so on all occasions of future journeys. So far all was good. The commercial dinner, as he had ascertained, would cost him only two shillings, and a much inferior repast, eaten by himself elsewhere, would have stood in his bill for three. So far all was good. 
but the test by which he was to be tried was now approaching him when the dinner was just half over mr moulder well knew how to mark the time that gentleman called for the waiter and whispered an important order into that functionary's ears the functionary bowed retired from the room and reappeared again in two minutes bearing a bottle of sherry in each hand one of these he deposited at the right hand of mr moulder and the other at the right hand of mr cantwise sir said mr moulder addressing himself with great ceremony to mr dockwrath the honour of a glass of wine with you sir and the president to give more importance to the occasion put down his knife and fork leaned back in his chair and put both his hands upon his waistcoat looking intently at the attorney out of his little eyes mr dockwrath was immediately aware that a crisis had come upon him which demanded an instant decision if he complied with the president's invitation he would have to pay his proportion of all the wine bill that might be incurred that evening by the seven commercial gentlemen at the table and he knew well that commercial gentlemen do sometimes call for bottle after bottle with a reckless disregard of expense but to him with his sixteen children wine at an hotel was terrible a pint of beer and a glass of brandy and water were the luxuries which he had promised himself and with manly fortitude he resolved that he would not be coerced into extravagance by any president or any moulder sir said he i am obliged by the honour but i don't drink wine to my dinner whereupon mr moulder bowed his head very solemnly winked at sninkeld and then drank wine with that gentleman it's the rule of the room whispered mr cantwise into mr dockwrath's ear but mr dockwrath pretended not to hear him and the matter was allowed to pass by for the time but mr sninkeld asked him for the honour as also did mr gape who sat at moulder's left hand and then mr dockwrath began to wax angry i think i remarked before that i don't drink wine to my dinner he said and then the three at the president's end of the table all looked at each other very solemnly and they all winked and after that there was very little conversation during the remainder of the meal for men knew that the goddess of discord was in the air the cheese came and with that a bottle of port wine which was handed round mr dockwrath of course refusing to join in the conviviality and then the cloth was drawn and the decanters were put before the president james bring me a little brandy and water said the attorney striving to put a bold face on the matter but yet speaking with diminished voice half a moment if you please sir said moulder and then he exclaimed with stentorian voice james the dinner bill yes sir said the waiter and disappeared without any thought towards the requisition for brandy and water for mr dockwrath for the next five minutes they all remained silent except that mr moulder gave the queen's health as he filled his glass and pushed the bottles from him gentlemen the queen and then he lifted his glass of port up to the light shut one eye as he looked at it and immediately swallowed the contents as though he were taking a dose of physic i am afraid they'll charge you for the wine said mr cantwise again whispering to his neighbour but mr dockwrath paid no apparent attention to what was said to him 
he was concentrating his energies with a view to the battle james the waiter soon returned he also knew well what was about to happen and he trembled as he handed in the document to the president let's have it james said moulder with much pleasantry as he took the paper in his hand the old ticket i suppose five bob a head and then he read out the bill the total of which wine and beer included came to forty shillings five shillings a head gentlemen as i said you and i can make a pretty good guess as to the figure there's snenkeld and then he put down his two half-crowns on the waiter as also did mr snenkeld and then mr gape and so on till it came to mr Cantwise. i think you and i will leave it and settle at the bar said Cantwise, appealing to dockwrath and intending peace if peace were still possible no shouted moulder from the other end of the table let the man have his money now and then his troubles will be over if there's to be any fuss about it let's have it out i like to see the dinner bill settled as soon as the dinner is eaten then one gets an appetite for one's supper i don't think i have the change said cutwise still putting off the evil day i'll lend it you said moulder putting his hand into his trousers pockets but the money was forthcoming out of mr cantwise's own proper repositories and with slow motion he put down the five shillings one after the other and then the waiter came to mr dockwrath what's this said the attorney taking up the bill and looking at it the whole matter had been sufficiently explained to him but nevertheless mr moulder explained it again in commercial rooms sir as no doubt you must be well aware seeing that you have done us the honour of joining us here the dinner bill is divided equally among all the gentlemen as sit down it's the rule of the room sir you has what you like and you calls for what you like and conviviality is thereby encouraged the figure generally comes to five shillings and you afterwards gives what you like to the waiter that's about it ain't it james well that's the rule sir in all commercial rooms as ever i sees said the waiter the matter had been so extremely well put by mr moulder and that gentleman's words had carried with them so much conviction that dockwrath felt himself almost tempted to put down the money as far as his sixteen children and general ideas of economy were concerned he would have done so but his legal mind could not bear to be beaten the spirit of litigation within him told him that the point was to be carried moulder gape and snickel together could not make him pay for wine he had neither ordered nor swallowed his pocket was guarded by the law of the land and not by the laws of any special room in which he might chance to find himself i shall pay two shillings for my dinner said he and sixpence for my beer and then he deposited the half-crown do you mean us to understand said moulder that after forcing your way into this room and sitting down along with gentlemen at this table you refuse to abide by the rules of the room and mr moulder spoke and looked as though he thought that such treachery must certainly lead to most disastrous results the disastrous result which a stranger might have expected at the moment would be a fit of apoplexy on the part of the worthy president i neither ordered that wine nor did i drink it said mr dockwrath compressing his lips leaning back in his chair and looking up into one corner of the ceiling uh, the gentleman certainly did not drink the wine said cantwise i must acknowledge that 
and as for ordering it why that was done by the president in course gammon said mr moulder and he fixed his eyes steadfastly upon his vice can't wise that's gammon the most of what you says is gammon mr moulder i don't exactly know what you mean by that word gammon but it's objectionable to my feelings it's very objectionable i say that the gentleman did not drink the wine and i appeal to the gentleman who sits at the gentleman's right whether what i say is not correct if what i say is correct it can't be gammon mr busby did that gentleman drink the wine or did he not uh, not as i see said mr busby somewhat nervous at being thus brought into the controversy he was a young man just commencing his travels and stood in awe of the great moulder gammon shouted moulder with a very red face everybody at the table knows he didn't drink the wine everybody saw that he declined the honour when proposed which i don't know that i ever saw a gentleman do at a commercial table till this day barring that he was a teetotaler which is gammon too but his p p here as every commercial gentleman knows cantwise as well as the best of us p p that's the rule growled stinkeld almost from under the table in commercial rooms as the gentleman must be aware the rule is as stated by my friend on my right said mr gape the wine is ordered by the president or chairman and is paid for in equal proportions by the company or guests and in his oratory mr gape laid great stress on the word or the gentleman will easily perceive that such a rule as this is necessary in such a society and unless but mr gape was apt to make long speeches and therefore mr moulder interrupted him you had better pay your five shillings sir and have no jaw about it the man is standing idle there it's not the value of the money said dockwrath but i must decline to acknowledge that i am amenable to the jurisdiction that has clearly been a mistake said johnson from sheffield and we had better settle it among us anything is better than a row johnson from sheffield was a man somewhat inclined to dispute the supremacy of moulder from houndstitch no johnson said the president anything is not better than a row a premeditated infraction of our rules is not better than a row did you say premeditated said cantwise i think not premeditated i did say premeditated and i say it again it looks uncommon like it said stinko when the gentleman says gape who does not belong to a society it's no good having more talk said moulder and we'll soon bring this to an end mr i haven't the honour of knowing the gentleman's name my name is dockwrath and i am a solicitor oh a solicitor are you and you said last night you was commercial will you be good enough to tell us mr solicitor for i didn't just catch your name except that it begins with a dock and that's where most of your clients are to be found i suppose order 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 said cantwise holding up both his hands mr charles is speaking said mr gape who had a true englishman's notion that the chair itself could not be called to order you shouldn't insult the gentleman because he has his own ideas said johnson i don't want to insult no one continued moulder and those who know me best among whom i can't as yet count mr johnson though hopes i shall some day won't say it of me here 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 from both snickeld and gape to which cantwise added a little here here of his own 
of which Mr. Moulder did not quite approve. Mr. Slinkell and Mr. Gape, they're my old friends, and they knows me. And they knows the way of a commercial room, which some gentlemen don't seem as though they do. I don't want to insult no one, but as chairman here at this convivial meeting, I ask that gentleman who says he is a solicitor whether he means to pay his dinner bill according to the rules of the room, or whether he don't. I paid for what I've had already, said Dockwrath, and I don't mean to pay for what I've not had. James, exclaimed Moulder, and all the chairman was in his voice as he spoke, my compliments to Mr. Crump, and I will request his attendance for five minutes. And then James left the room, and there was silence for a while, during which the bottles made their round of the table. "'Hadn't we better send back the pint of wine which Mr. Dockwrath hasn't used?' suggested Cantwise. "'I'm damned if we do,' replied Moulder with much energy, and the general silence was not again broken until Mr. Crupp made his appearance. But the chairman whispered a private word or two to his friend Sninkeld. "'I never sent back ordered liquor to the bar yet, unless it was bad, and I'm not going to begin now.' And then Mr. Crupp came in. Mr. Crump was a very clean-looking person, without any beard, and dressed from head to foot in black. He was about fifty, with grisly grey hair, which stood upright on his head, and his face at the present moment wore on it an innkeeper's smile. But it could also assume an innkeeper's frown, and on occasions did so, when bills were disputed, or unreasonable strangers thought that they knew the distance in posting miles round the neighbourhood of Leeds, better than did he, Mr. Crump, who had lived at the Bull Inn all his life. But Mr. Crump rarely frowned on commercial gentlemen, from whom was derived the mainstay of his business and the main prop of his house. "'Mr. Crump,' began Moulder, "'here has occurred a very unpleasant transaction.' "'I know all about it, gentlemen,' said Mr. Crump. "'The waiter has acquainted me, and I can assure you, gentlemen, that I am extremely sorry that anything should have arisen.' to disturb the harmony of your dinner-table. "'We must now call upon you, Mr. Crump,' began Mr. Moulder, who was about to demand that Dockwrath should be turned bodily out of the room. "'If you'll allow me one moment, Mr. Moulder,' continued Mr. Crump, "'and I'll tell you what is my suggestion. The gentleman here, who I understand is a lawyer, does not wish to comply with the rules of the commercial room. "'I certainly don't wish or intend to pay for drink that I didn't order and haven't had,' said Dockwrath. "'Exactly,' said Mr. Crump. "'And therefore, gentlemen, to get out of the difficulty, we'll presume, if you please, that the bill is paid.' "'The lawyer, as you call him, will have to leave the room,' said Moulder. Uh, "'Perhaps he will not object to step over to the coffee-room on the other side,' suggested the landlord. "'I can't think of leaving my seat here under such circumstances,' said Dockwrath. "'You can't,' said Moulder. "'Then you must be made, as I take it.' "'Let me see the man that will make me,' said Dockwrath. Mr. Crump looked very apologetic, and not very comfortable. "'There is a difficulty, gentlemen. There is a difficulty indeed,' he said. "'The fact is the gentleman should not have been showed into the room at all.' and he looked very angrily at his own servant, James. "'He said he was marshal,' said James. "'So he did. Now he says as how he's a lawyer. What's a poor man to do?' "'I'm a commercial lawyer,' said Dockwrath. "'He must leave the room, or I shall leave the house,' said Moulder. 
"'Gentlemen, gentlemen,' said Crump, "'this kind of thing does not happen often, "'and on this occasion I must try your kind patience. "'If Mr. Moulder would allow me to suggest "'that the commercial gentlemen should take their wine "'in the large drawing-room upstairs this evening, "'Mrs. C. will do her best to make it comfortable "'for them in five minutes. "'There, of course, they can be private.' There was something in the idea of leaving Mr. Dockwrath alone in his glory, which appeased the spirit of the great Moulder. He had known Crump, moreover, for many years, and was aware that it would be dangerous and probably an expensive proceeding to thrust out the attorney by violence. "'If the other gentlemen are agreeable, I am,' said he. The other gentlemen were agreeable, and with the exception of Cantwise, they all rose from their chairs. "'I must say I think you ought to leave the room, as you don't choose to abide by the rules,' said Johnson, addressing himself to Dockwrath. "'That's your opinion,' said Dockwrath. "'Yes, it is,' said Johnson. "'That's my opinion.' "'My own happens to be different,' said Dockwrath, and so he kept his chair. "'There, Mr. Crump,' said Moulder, taking half a crown from his pocket and throwing it on the table. "'I shan't see you at a loss.' "'Thank you, sir,' said Mr. Crump and he very humbly took up the money. "'I keep a little account for charity at home,' said Boulder. "'It don't run very high, do it?' asked Snickeld jocosely. "'Not out of the way, it don't, but now I shall have the pleasure of writing down in it that I paid half a crown for a lawyer who couldn't afford to settle his own dinner-bill. Sir, we have the pleasure of wishing you a good night.' "'I hope you'll find the large drawing-room upstairs quite comfortable,' said Dockwrath. And then they all marched out of the room, each with his own glass, Mr. Moulder leading the way with stately step. It was pleasant to see them, as they all followed their leader across the open passage of the gateway, in by the bar, and so up the chief staircase. Mr. Moulder walked slowly, bearing the bottle of port and his own glass, and Mr. Snenkeld and Mr. Gape followed in line, bearing also their own glasses, and maintaining the dignity of their profession under circumstances of some difficulty. "'Gentlemen, I really am sorry for this little accident,' said Mr. Crump, as they were passing the bar. "'But a lawyer, you know.' "'And such a lawyer, eh, Crump?' said Moulder. "'It might be five-and-twenty pound to me to lay a hand on him,' said the landlord. When the time came for Mr. Cantwise to move, he considered the matter well. The chances, however, as he calculated them, were against any profitable business being done with the attorney. So he also left the room. "'Good night, sir,' he said as he went. "'I wish you a very good night.' "'Take care of yourself,' said Dockwrath. And then the attorney spent the rest of the evening alone. End of chapter 9 of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.